Chapter 13 When Tyrone called for Maya Main to stop, she felt her face turn into a sceptical smirk. The house in the swamp had been idyllic, or at least hinted at a past of being such, but this... She snorted and jumped down from the driver's seat. This was unbearably quaint. The walls were painted with greenish wood stain and glittered under the clear skies. The roof was thatched and tiny crooked wooden houses were on top of it, tearing guestful birds or critters. The sunlight was too bright for her to make out anything behind the dirty little windows. It did look a lot more occupied than the previous cottage they had visited, but that was not exactly difficult. She didn't have to wonder whether someone lived here for long, though. With a loud creak, the crooked door swung open and a familiar shape materialised on the threshold. Ha! It was a bright, surprised voice Taryn knew well. Besh stepped out into the sunlight. Almost simultaneously, Taryn noticed Lidjikai coming out of the carriage behind her. Taryn couldn't stop a wide, happy smile at seeing her old friend. However, she also couldn't stop herself from quickly noticing his skin and hair. Last time Taryn had seen him, she had voiced her concern and quickly been dismissed by Vesh as fussing, something she deeply despised hearing about herself. Back then, Vesh's dark, warm brown skin had started to look as if that warm shade was slowly draining out of it. Now, every visible part of him was dark grey, completely desaturated, no hint of red still left. The same seemed to have happened to his hair. The comb of thin, long, ropey locks on his head seemed to have lost saturation much like his skin had, but the effect was a little less noticeable. It was still black, flecked with grey, but it seemed to reflect very little light, and there was more grey in it than she remembered. Tyron was a little taller than Vesh, but she still felt as if she disappeared pleasantly in his arms and big soft stomach as she jogged over to hug him. She laughed against the smooth, shaved side of his head. I'm sorry I didn't message ahead. Then again, she said. She felt his entire body freeze against her, and he grabbed her arms, holding her away from him, dark brown eyes, wide and apologetic. The one thing that still had some colour to it. I... I didn't... I... I forgot to tell you. He motioned towards the house. It's fine, don't worry, just... She smiled again, looking him over. He wore a beautifully patterned dressing gown, with a base of dark magenta underneath the multicoloured flowers, a piece of clothing which had undoubtedly seen better days as far as maintenance went. The hems hung loose everywhere. Underneath it, he wore a turquoise button shirt with a collar that reached all the way up to his jawline and a floor-length deep golden skirt. All his jewellery was in silver, and some of it was new. Where one of his long, pointed ears had almost been cut in two at one point, he had now put a silver chain between the two edges. Most of it was the same, though. The ring in his septum, 
the rods above and below his lips and in his eyebrow. I've missed you so much, she said, trying to put at least half of the warmth she felt into her words. He took her hand and squeezed it. You look well. Good. Wonderful choice in growing the hair. She bowed a little thanks and, looking up again, her reason for being here seeped back into her like oil in water. I wished this were a social call, she said. Vesh chuckled a little. The two strangers staring at us gave me an inkling, a clue, he said, very deliberately, not looking anywhere but at Taran. Though, admittedly, I wouldn't put it past you to cause bring a party. Taran laughed. That I wouldn't do unannounced. Vesh gave her a very unconvinced smile. Again, I wouldn't do it again, she added, rolling her eyes. Let me introduce you. Vesh sighed, looking down at himself. I will try to be as ready for it as the situation allows. You'll be fine. Remains to be seen, he said quietly, his smile having turned a lot more cautious now. As Taryn turned to walk back to the carriage, Vesh in careful tow, she recalled the few times she had spent time with Vesh in the company of others. The result had varied, and she had, admittedly, been the cause of some bad ones. They had ended up having to talk about it, at Vesh's insistence. Taryn remembered that conversation well, probably because she took great care to end up in as few long, complicated conversations as she could, the one about Vesh and other people had stuck particularly well, because Vesh had asked her to please respect their differences with great emphasis. He had described it as him feeling fuzzy around people. She thought that was the word he had used at least. Knowing Vesh, he had probably used that one, along with ten more expressions that were close relatives to that word. He was terrified of misunderstanding and being misunderstood. She had tried to tell him that sometimes... His over-explanations could have the opposite effect. She couldn't remember if she had managed to get that point across. Probably not. But that fuzziness, it caused him to... Overload? Was that it? He had said it was especially true when he enjoyed someone's company. He could get so caught up in them that he lost track of himself. She also remembered him saying that he didn't understand the point of clinging to one's self as something even remotely static. She didn't really understand that one. Or maybe she just didn't feel the same way. That was often the case with Besh. The conversations she had with him stuck. She kept coming back to them, only feeling as if she never got anywhere at all with her life and herself. And also as if she should want to change that. But she didn't know if she did. Suddenly she almost walked into Lijikai. He jumped back at her not stopping at an appropriate distance, causing him to wince as his back met the hardwood of the wonky-looking carriage. Whoops, she whispered, taking a big step backwards, before holding out her hands towards Vesh behind her. Vesheni, this is Lidikai and Crow. Lidji, Crow, this is Vesh. She had fallen into reveries just seeing Vesh again. Self-absorbed brooding felt like added stress she didn't need right now. Plus, 
she had never been particularly good at it. Not until Taryn almost walked into him did Lydikai realise that he had been staring and that he didn't really seem able to stop. When he finally managed to avert his gaze from this new acquaintance, he couldn't help but feel his whole body turn cold. He thought of the effect of Crow's magic, how he hadn't been able to tear himself from it or question it. This wasn't the same, he could see that, but it felt similar. He didn't know anything about Shadow and Ash practitioners, or fog walkers, as they were often called. He was quite sure he had never even met one before Vesh. Now he was trying to turn his inability to stop staring into something productive. He did things he knew were all right to do, at least in Apices, when meeting another practitioner. Look at that Tandia, take note of the other symbols and founts they chose to show. But what he saw was unfamiliar. Above Vesh's eyebrows, one grey, the other hairless, with five metal studs forming an arch above the eye instead, was the symbol for the path of Shadow and Ash. A path as a Tandia, like Lydikai had, not an overall modality, more specialised than, for example, Tarrant's modality of prosperity Tandia. Vesh's Tandia was done in gold-coloured ink, a stylized skull from which smoke rose from the open top of it. Even when inactive, it shone against Vesh's dark grey skin in the sunlight. Realising his attempt at not staring had failed yet again, no matter where he looked at Vesh, he felt very grateful at Crow for making some socially accepted small talk that Lidikai only heard as a sort of buzzing. Looking around as casually as he could, he met Taryn's eyes instead. She was also staring, but at him. Her eyebrows were lifted, her eyes narrow, and there was a very condescending smile on her lips. Lidikai knew that meant he had embarrassed her, and right now he wished he had some way of signalling back to her that he had definitely embarrassed himself a lot more. Thank you very much. They were sitting in Vesha's hut, and Sena was lower in the sky. Upon stepping over the threshold, it had been obvious to all three guests that a very singular strain of chaos reigned in the house. It was made up of one large room, and in it, furniture stood at odd angles, and often at a seemingly arbitrary distance, both from each other and walls. There were a lot of books, many of them open, but also covered in a fine layer of dust. In a row of windows at the back of the house, plants grew from the outside into the house, red and purple vines climbing along the deals of the wall. Although there was dust on a lot of surfaces, the place was still very clean and also bright. There were many windows to make up for their small size, and the walls were painted white, reflecting as much light as they could. Colourful pieces of cloth hung here and there, bringing some welcome splashes of pattern. In fact, the longer you were in there, the less it seemed a chaos, and more a well-composed, colourful miscellany. Vesh had offered them tea, with the caveat that it might taste challenging, due to some earlier distractedness. 
something Lidikai could now testify to that it did. It somehow managed to taste both sour and smoky at the same time. He was quite sure it wasn't pleasant, but he also couldn't stop going in for another sip out of pure startledness at how strange the taste was. He and Crow had mostly listened, as Taryn had described the situation to Vesh, interjecting here and there to voice agreement or add something she had forgotten. Mostly, Lidikai was still trying not to stare, often sinking into attempts at remembering what he had heard or read or anything about practitioners of Vesh's path. The trinket Lidikai had gotten from Taryn had given no indication of illusion magic, so... As long as it worked as it should, the sort of gravity that Lidikai vaguely felt around Vesh was not that. It must have something to do with his connection to energy imprints around them, which was one thing he knew he had read or heard that Shadow and Ash practitioners dealt in. It was undeniably intriguing. Vesh had been very attentive and completely silent in listening to the tale they told. Just like when Lidikai had had to tell it before, he was struck by a sense of absurdity at it all. As Tyrion got to the most recent events, the failed ritual with the Ender, it was very difficult for Lidikai to not sear the arm of the chair he was sitting in. He was mind-numbingly ashamed for putting Tyrion in this situation. However, even he could tell she did nothing to cause that shame. In fact, she seemed quite energetic about the whole thing. When she got to the part where Crow admitted to having lied, Lady Kai saw how they looked away, chewing the inside of their cheek. Shame shifted, spread out, a dilution between Crow and Lady Kai that both of them seemed aware of. After finally arriving at the present time, Taryn fell silent with a sigh. She took a long sip of her tea. First question, Vesh said, possibly of many, for a long time. He turned to Crow, who did not look comfortable at all under the attention. The Ender. It protects you from the mist mass. Crow nodded. But you still decide to liberate, to free yourself from it. Didikai saw Crow's eyebrows slowly lower over their eyes. Lidikai felt stupid. That was such an obvious observation, wasn't it? Why hadn't he asked that of Crow? Or had he, and had just forgotten about it, not listened? Everything was so muddled than layers of emotion, his priorities were even less logical than usual, it seemed. There must be another way than this. I don't... Crow sighed. <sighs> See, it never used to be able to come here to Runa physically but it's done that twice now. I'm sure it wouldn't kill me deliberately because that's not its thing or whatever, but I'm pretty sure I'm moving towards a state where I'm going to start ominously telling people that there are worse things than dying, yeah? This was a solution for a while. It isn't any longer, they said, ending on a tired sigh. Zoa. Bash said in understanding and confirmation over the edge of his tea mug. If Lidikai heard correctly, that was a phrase in Khilvir. Perhaps Bash was from one of the institutes in Amhalva, a region on the other side of the weir. 
Perhaps Vesh had also left an apex behind. He had the founts to show for it, if nothing else. But what in the moons do I know? Lydica heard echoing through his head. A not entirely familiar thought for him to have, he noted. After giving his mug a confused look, Vesh put his tea down on the edge of a small table, mostly dominated by an enormous glass candelabra. There were dried flowers, not candles, in it. Then we shall try your plan, Vesh said. I don't know if Taryn has informed you, told you, that this is a slow process. To be safe, it is. For safety, this magic is a slow process. He scratched the edge of his high collar a little. She has not told us shit, Crow said. Hey, Taryn exclaimed before putting a finger up in the air and narrowing her eyes. Oh, wait, no, you're absolutely right about that. I will make some preparations for the remains of today. The communication finding Kira might take the entirety, the, the whole of tomorrow. We'll make dinner while you prepare, Taryn said, slapping her thighs loudly and jumping up from her chair. She stretched and yawned. Lady Kai noticed, snorting a little, that she had a hickey along one of the visible muscles on her stomach. She lowered her arms, her shirt closing over it again, ending her stretch with a sharp, loud burp sound. Going over to the open door, she peered into the golden light of the setting sun. By the moons, it's good to be out of Cheramia, she muttered, only to herself. It was late, and Crow was looking at the moons. If they had counted correctly, they were about a third through Kensaro Manorim this year. The enormous red Manorim looked a lot more menacing than the smaller blue Kensaro. The third moon, fickle, bright, Dalom, had already finished its one face for the year. Manorim would remain one more face, glaring down at Runa alone. Then there would be six nights of night bleeding into day. They stroked the little blue crystal in their hand with their thumb, wondered where they would be once that unending light came, everyone waiting for the three moons to come back again. Everyone always wondering if this time they would not. Everyone, every year, wondering if this year would be when the prophecy's light finally collided, swallowing Runa in an eternal, white-hot blaze. Everyone, even the ones who said they didn't. Thoughts of scrambled, split-breath decisions, of lies, omissions... One attempt at sticking to a promise leading to a new crosshatch of inventions. Vague, painful flashes of the companion before all this. Their own history repeating. Regret. Always the regret. But it would soon be over. Or at the very least, there would be the chance of starting over. Sighing softly. They placed the little crystal back under their tongue, 
waiting for the edges to smooth out completely, disappearing into the tissue there. Where would they be? Would they be at all? Was probably a better question. Tyron had never been particularly good at elemental magic. She would probably not have admitted it out loud, but she knew it was because she connected it so strongly to institutes and everything they stood for. Which was ridiculous. After all, the magic didn't care. It was just there for you to coexist with as you saw fit. Whatever her reason, the fact remained. She had never known much elemental magic. That said, one of her everyday magics was one Lydia had taught her. A combination of fire and gravity to create a little hovering light that required as much constant focus as making sure no one was standing in your periphery trying to sneak a peek at your reading. Since she had that light up, she could blame it for not noticing Crow standing in her periphery, sneaking a peek at her reading. Anything good? Oh, for... Taryn almost lost the little light completely. It flickered, dimmed, and brightened along her startle. In the nervous light, she could make out Crow laughing at her. Ugh, she added, but with a chuckle to end it. Crow sat down next to her on the little bench, leaning against the thatched hut. I didn't know I expected picking a book off a shelf in Vesha's house, but I know it wasn't this. She shut the book and handed it to Crow. On the front was an illustration of three Ori, a stately tall one in the middle, with a dramatic pained face. On each of her arms hung another person, both mortally wounded, but still able to look up lovingly at the one in the middle, apparently. Their faces were equally dramatic. This looks... I have no idea what this looks like. What is this? Crow said, frowning at the thing. Well, it's not good, but I couldn't stop reading. It started with them kissing and then I was just hooked. Do you think it's magical? Tyron said. Yes, absolutely mind magic. You're lost to us now, Tyron, I'm sorry. They patted her on the shoulder, shaking their head in despair. I wasn't meant to go out like this, she whispered, making a not entirely unconvincing impression of crying. I'll make sure to tell Lady Kai and Bess she fought to the very end. <laughs> Taryn laughed. They both know I didn't even try to fight. Biscuit, she went on, holding out a plate that had been standing on the ground. They're extremely dry. Wow, thanks, Crow muttered, still smiling, taking one. The two of them sat in the light of Taryn's little fire for a while. Crow seemingly trying their best to push saliva into the dry biscuit and not succeeding, and Taryn having no trouble at all eating the dry little things. How did you two meet, anyway? You and Lidikai? Crow said after a while. Hmm. He didn't tell you? And here I thought he had let out our whole history as a warning to anyone who came near me on his behest. She chuckled a little. He came up from the Kajiza to Orchid, and I'll... Well, I'll try my best to not put too many words in his mouth. He has told me to try not to do that. She shrugged. But, well, he was a bit of a mess, to put it mildly. I was passing through, had some clients in town, heard there was an honest-to-the-moon's apex scholar in town. 
Now, obviously he wasn't an actual Apex scholar just yet, but he already looked the part to people who haven't seen one. Founts, scrawny, sour mood. I found him in the tavern while he was in the middle of being kicked out. Apparently for like the fifth time. I did my best to catch up to his level of sobriety, none, that is, and hired him as my bodyguard, ostensibly. She shrugged with a small smirk. I've had some criticism leveled at my flirting techniques, but honestly, no one can remark on my track record. (laughs) Crow sounded. And what did the two of you, you know, do? What did you need a bodyguard for? Taryn shrugged again. Well, I was in the middle of a very long study of bodies. Dead bodies. Or changed, as the academic term would have it. For that, I needed a lot of them. So I went to get them. Often people wanted to keep them. Sometimes those people were armed. Sometimes they were very armed. Both pitchforks and founts. DTI was better at looking scary back then. Frown was more rawr than what? Institute seems to have mellowed him, among other things. Anyway, yeah, I needed a bodyguard because I stole a lot of dead bodies. She had started to stuff her pipe as she talked, and now she lit it with the snap of her fingers. The small founts in her hand lit up momentarily as she did so. So why did you part ways? Taryn looked over at Crow. Their fluorescent eyes were even brighter in the light from the hovering little orb and seemed surprisingly lacking in impishness between the curtain of straight, dark blue hair. was hoping he might have told you that. She muttered through the clenched teeth around her pipe. Oh, Crow said, looking away. Sorry. (sighs) Firmly in the past. Don't worry about it. I've had far weirder shit happen after that. Oh? Crow sat a bit straighter, the uncomfortable hunch instantly gone at Tyrant's changed tone. Sure. Let's see. Dug up a dead person and we ended up in bed once? Crow coughed. What little biscuit they had managed to get down their throat jumped back up. Hey, okay, she wasn't actually dead, obviously. Tyrant rolled her eyes. She had been buried alive and had apparently gone through all stages of acceptance that meant... Though, I mean, she wouldn't be able to tell that, would she? Anyway, she was really pissed at me to begin with. Bit of a mess, that. But I took her home. Couldn't leave her there, also, obviously. And she sort of stuck around. We got to know each other. She took a liking. She shrugged with an easy smile. Crow tried to smile as well. It didn't really work. Mortality is a great motivator for intimacy of all kinds. She said it as if it should be painted on a wall somewhere. I think that's one of the reasons they get so weird in the institutes. Not only do they live long, they stay in the same place that entire time, get all strange about everything. Forget the importance of getting messy, fucking up, moving on, not putting so much thought into every little thing. And then your whole body giving up to boot. Why do people choose that life? It is, and will always be, beyond me. Crows seemed to consider something, counted on their hands. They fell silent. Taryn wished she were tired. Tomorrow was going to be everything but relaxing. 
Can I ask you one more thing about Enders? What you said before, about where they come from and that. Crow suddenly said, the voice sounding a lot more tense than usual. You may? So they might be, what, byproducts of abstract magic? <laughs> sure, that's one way of putting it. Quite accurately as well, yes. Not sure that's how it actually is, or if that is the only way for them to manifest or anything, but... So theory goes in some circles, indeed. Crow bit their lower lip for a while. Does... Anything in those theories say anything about Enders and Bloodkith? Taren winced, looking at them with raised eyebrows. Well... I'd say most theories about anything say that Bloodkith aren't a thing at all. But... Huh. That's interesting, though, when you put it like that. She crossed one leg over the other, and her foot started to tap rhythmically in the air. See, she continued, the way I've understood it is that the reason most deny the existence of Bloodkith is because, well, no one gets where they come from. As if that makes something not exist. She scoffed. I'm sure the topic of Enders must have been on the table at some point, because... Why not, right? I'm not beyond suggesting the Institutes cover shit up if they have to, but I'm also not one to waste my time building an entire made-up universe of what they might be lying about. i got more important stuff to do than that. But, yeah, I haven't heard anyone mention cursed children for a long time. I just figured it was because we augurs appeared to take the blame for everything they can explain. She paused. Huh, she repeated. Then she shook her head. Sorry, that was just me speculating. I've never thought about it. Why do you ask? Ah, just something someone said sometime. Crow muttered with a dismissive wave. Right. I know an evasive something someone sometime when I hear it. I'll stay out of your business. Just remember, you and I are in a bit of a same swamp with this ender thing now. Wait, no, obviously, I am not in as deep as... She interrupted herself. I'm just making it worse. She sighed and stood up. Time for another attempt at sleep. I suggest you race me for it. I snore like my main breathes. <laughs> <laughs>